Welcome to the Theory of Creativity, a uh, discussion between James and Rizwan on innovation and creativity. And today we're going to be talking particularly about the structure of creativity. But I would like to start, if I may, with a little poem that goes like this, or part of a poem. The buzzsaw snarled and rattled in the yard and made dust and dropped stove-length sticks of wood, sweet-smelling stuff as the breeze drew across it. And from there, as one lifted eyes, one could see five mountain ranges, one behind the other, under the sunset, far into Vermont. That's the beginning of a poem by Robert Frost called Out, Out. And um, poets, as well as business people and accountants, all sorts of people are, are creative. And um, so I thought we might start there with our theory of creativity discussion today. How are you going, Rishan? Doing well. Uh, always a pleasure being here, James. Robert Frost always uh, remind me of a story uh, I heard a few months back about mm-hmm. a fellow who was learning to be an academic within English literature. And turns out that one of his senior professors was a well-read scholar of Robert Frost. Mm-hmm. So this gentleman would, throughout the course of his doctorate, would write these poems and take them to his teacher. The teacher would look at them and say, oh, no, I didn't feel anything. <laughs> and over the course, of course, he, he, he polished his language, uh, he polished his poetry. And every time he would come back, he would say, but teacher, you are killing me here because I'm pouring my emotions out. So towards the end of his tenure there, his teacher finally said to him, well, I can't feel your emotions because you're not following the structure of a sonnet that I'm used to. Only if I would see what you're writing in that structure, would I I also actually feel the emotions that you're feeling. So so from an audience, a receptor's point of view, the structure wasn't something they were familiar with, and so they didn't know how to relate to the overall content of the poem. Exactly, yeah. I thought that was really interesting. That is, it is interesting, mm-hmm. and... Um, and we've sneakily um, tied this straight back into our opening little poem because that poem, Out, Out, by Robert Frost, the title of the poem is taken from a Shakespeare play, Macbeth, where Macbeth just has just found out that his wife has died and he has this soliloquy which begins, Out, Out, Brief Candle. But what we discover in the Robert Frost poem is that even though it, you can't tell by listening to it, there is a very strong structure that each line in the poem has ten syllables. We call it iambic pentameter, meaning five groups of two. And it's the same structure that Shakespeare used in that particular piece of text that Macbeth speaks. So in in, in strictest form, the the rhythm goes like this. Da-dum, 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 da-dum. Da-dum, 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 da-dum. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So there's the ten syllables. But when you say it as Robert Frost wrote it, the buzz saw snarled and rattled in the yard and made dust and dropped stove lengths of wood. You can't hear the structure when you read it properly, but it's there underlying the heart of what Frost is doing in the poem. So even though it sounds very freeform, it's, it's, it, it adheres very strictly to a structure. So because I come from a technologist, sort of, I, I used to deal a lot with engineers and the engineering process, I always felt outed when it comes to creative outputs or creative products. And I always had that impression of exactly how you mentioned it. They're free from and they're free of structure. 
came across this very interesting book. Uh, interestingly enough, it's called Creativity Incorporated, uh, written by Ed Catmull, the CEO of Pixar. Yeah. Um, and fascinated by their productions like Toy Story or or Wall-E or whatnot, and you look at this amazing creative production uh, where you think, oh, there are only beanbags and post-it tacks in Pixar. And then you hear Ed Catmull say, uh, he has a whole chapter where he says about the key success of Pixar was having a process, believing in that process, and staying true to that process. And he says categorically that every success that Pixar had is where they just believed in that process. They followed the sequence, which was, for example, plot before the screenplay, character development before animation, and so on. And as soon as they followed the structure, they were always sure that the outcome will be a success. And it was. So, and I know artists are going to shudder at this idea. We're saying that there's a formula. Yeah, exactly. There's not just that there is a formula. So it's, I think it comes in several dimensions. It's like there is a sequence of how things are ideally likely to be done. There is not just that sequence itself. Every phase is clearly defined as to what generally will be done in that phase. Now, interestingly enough, the organization that tells the world how big is a USB or what shape a CD would be or, you know, that makes sure that your AAA batteries fit into a AAA slot, mm. which is, you know, International Organization for Standardization or ISO as we know it. So they're the guys who are the most engineering-minded structural gurus of the world. I believe their office will be right down the street from where the meter rod is and the one kilogram metric standard <laughs> weight is. Yeah, <laughs> It doesn't get more structured than that, I presume. These are the people, they came up with a 20-page document telling the world how to manage the process of being innovative and creative. So what, what you're saying is that creativity is not as, as many people think. It's, it's, it's not just freeform. It's not just coming up with new ideas, but it's working within a structure. Yeah, exactly. And I, I find that... So to me, as like I said, uh, as a technologist and coming from that realm of... That made the creative process more understandable for me and also more relatable. And by, uh, by structures, we're not talking about the boundaries of the world that the world imposes on us. We have to do this because this is the environment we're in, but we're talking about a, a set of procedures. Can you give an example? Oh, of can I give you an example? Well, an example of, of boundaries shaping something would be as a theatre person, if we have to put on a play, I have to work within the limitations of budget of cast size of the theater size of the lighting rig available and those things help shape creativity because i have to find solutions to the problems caused by those limitations but when i put on a play there are also things that i can't deviate from that have have to be there the structure of the play the audience has to come in they have to sit somewhere they sit in the theater they watch there has to be a starting point there's an expectation of a plot and character development and usually that there's going to be some sort of ending that's resolved and so there's that kind of structure which is I suppose more a convention in the theatre because you don't have to do it no one's going to get killed if you don't do it but yeah. if you don't do it it doesn't feel right it's, it's not the same thing as as a play it's definitely the latter so right. it's it's the the convention as you say I believe 
that's that's where where I'm coming from. That 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 formula that that sequence has to be there. And um, I, know, I know one of your interests is in the application of that into business. Into, yeah, exactly. Generally, organizations. Yeah. So, so t- t- tell me about uh, the work that you've done there. So when I wanted to move away from the work I used to do, which is meter rod and the kilogram weights, yeah. and I wanted to go into something which is as freeform as creativity in my mind, doing my initial literature review in there, I found these ISO people haunting me there as well. <laughs> when they, so I took it upon myself to break their claim and prove them wrong, that they can't tell the world how their structure, their meter rod applies on the creative process. So I said, I'm going to take the the most fluid aspect of their their 20 page uh, tritus on creativity mm-hmm. innovation, and I'm going to apply it on the most fluid organization, which is a startup, and see if it works for them or not. Uh, turns out, after talking to a hundred startups, uh, selecting 35 out of them, it turns out, yeah, they follow. There's pretty much the same formula, one form or the other. So even even a startup company which is not technically bound by the structures of, of a predecessor or the, the need to do things in a particular way because that's how it's always been done, finds themselves following the same processes to achieve success. Exactly, they do. And um, it's so the interesting thing is where the there is no set sequence, they can, you know, bring one step forward and take the other step ladder or be iterative in their the way they approach it they still have to follow the same steps it's that sonnet example again um, for mm. for the whole process to work or for like Ed Catmull put it believe in the process and follow the process so th- so then what what is what is creativity then yeah that that's interesting and th- this is where I would I would like to the beer if I may um, and came across another interesting study where the premise was so what these these presumably people like me what they did was they took music from Bob Dylan and they compared it with a lot of music that existed before him in the form of folklore or country music and they found out up to 90% of the elements of Bob Dylan's music was a perfect match so in fact their presumption was uh, Bob Dylan, up to 90%, did not create anything out of nothing. Uh, and in fact, was adopting the music that existed before them. And their premise, so to speak, is humans are incapable of creating something out of nothing. And they take it forward and they say, even if he, if he had access to what Mozart was listening to, we would prove the same for him as well. Because they've tested it on other artists as well. So, so, I mean, that's an extraordinary idea, isn't it? Because we think of Bob Dylan as being so innovative and so groundbreaking. But what you're saying is that a huge percentage of what he did was standing on the shoulders of giants, as Isaac Newton put it. And it's only that maybe 10% which is new. Yeah. How does that make you feel as a... <laughs> <laughs> as, as a creative, as an artist? Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I, I suppose in one sense, I, I recognize the truth in that. And and I, no, I just have to think of someone like Shakespeare, who again was hugely groundbreaking in his field, but nearly all of his plays were based on existing plays. I mean, there was a story called Hamnet, which had existed mm. for hundreds of years before Shakespeare wrote Hamlet, and lots and lots of other writers had made the story as well. So in terms of the plot and the characters 
and so forth there was possibly not that much original about the play but Shakespeare put his own spin on it I suppose did it in a way that no one else had done it before so the creativity was not in every single aspect of it just maybe one one or two components of, of the greater whole um, yeah and I, I I mean the thought that I have and bringing this back to the structure part and the the sonnet story that I was mentioning earlier is when we get inspired, I believe, from a piece of work, we get also inspired by the structure embedded in it. Mm-hmm. And then we carry that forward as well. Yes. So part of it's like if I bring a, a, a script to you, you would look at it from it being original, mm-hmm. but using your expertise because it's embedded in you, you'll also look at it from a, from a structure point of view, see um, if all the elements are there. So I might say, look, I, I like the story, but this part doesn't work because you put it in Act 1 and it needs to be in Act 2 because that's the structure of well-made play. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that. So, so I mean, there, there's a Latin phrase, ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. But as, as creators, we're not creating out of nothing. We're creating out of what is already there. Exactly. Yeah, and so part of the innovation is then maybe taking something from another field and putting it somewhere unexpected and it's not a brand new idea, it's just not being done that way before. And I think the creative prowess with this new definition is is not in the 90%, but how great you are in dealing with that 10% and how how far you can take an original kernel and make something new out of it, which is so fascinating. Well, that has blown my mind in many ways, Bruce <laughs> one. Well, as we wrap up, let me just uh, re- retell that Robert Frost poem, Out, Out. And, and as I do it, listen, listen, see if you can hear the structure within it. I hope you can't. <laughs> the buzzsaw snarled and rattled in the yard and made dust and dropped stove-length sticks of wood, sweet-scented stuff when the breeze drew across it. And from there, those that lifted eyes could count five mountain ranges, one behind the other, under the sunset, far into Vermont. I think it's fascinating that Robert Frost uses the same structure as Shakespeare 300 years later, and yet the, the, the whole thing can sound so different that, that Shakespeare probably wouldn't even recognise it as, as poetry. It's so radically different, and yet each... Each step from Shakespeare to the next poet to the next poet to the next poet makes their own 10% and eventually it becomes something completely new. That's the structure of creativity. Thanks for being part of our discussion in the theory of creativity. And um, we'll find something creative and find that extra 10% to talk about in our next podcast. Looking forward to it.